Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. John chapter 4, I love this whole chapter. Why? Because we usually, us worship lovers, we draw it into a a thing about worship, right? Because it's where Jesus uh, makes that epic, profound statement that anybody who wants to worship the Father, it's not about a mountaintop, it's not about a city, it's not about a pilgrimage anymore, it's about spirit and truth. Worship has to happen in spirit and in truth. And so throughout the ages, that has, um, that has hopefully been the bedrock of how we pursue a relationship with the Lord. Um, but as I was in it this time, the Lord, you know, when you get back in the word in a passage that you know really well, in a passage you've read a million times and heard a million messages on, I hope that you don't just glaze through it like I do most of the time. I hope that you stop and that you say, okay, Lord, is there something else in here? And that's, that's what's been brewing, percolating, as Pastor Scott said um, a couple weeks ago, is that there's something else in here that the Lord wanted me to dig a little deeper in, wanted us to go a little deeper in. And so we're gonna go there this morning and, um, and my prayer is that as we do this, uh, that you're keeping an open mind, um, not to drink the Kool-Aid or to be convinced of anything that you don't want to be convinced of, because we all know that's not going to happen in New England, um, but that you're keeping an open mind in the event that the Lord wants to rearrange some priorities. And the Lord maybe was pointing to you during worship saying, I've got a semester at School of the Spirit lined up for you. And you need to lay aside whatever else you're doing. You need to step aside from your job at Dunkin' Donuts or Cumberland Farms or Wall Street or whatever else you're doing. And you need to hone the ax, hone the edge, bring it to a a razor sharp point because for such a time as this, we've got work to do. So here we go. Therefore, chapter four of the gospel of John. Here we go. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. Verse three, and this is where I want you to lean in with me. He left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar. And near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Verse 6 says, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Now, there there are so many details to the stage that is set. And honestly, I don't think we're even going to get to the woman this morning. Because... I, I, I had to push past my first point that should have been a three-part sermon just in and of itself. Um, but I want to talk about a couple of things. And the first line is that when the Bible says, when John writes that he left Judea and went away into Galilee, he had to pass through Samaria. And the first thing I want to say is, no, he didn't. He didn't actually have to pass through Samaria. In fact... For most Jews at the time, you would have avoided Samaria at all costs. Now, is there, do we have that slide back there? Okay. So I had Dave LeBeau um, fly over the Holy Land and take this aerial shot. (laughs) And he did that yesterday. I'm just so 
glad that we have Dave on the team because he's, when the rest of us go on vacation, Dave is still working. I don't even know where he is. Is he on vacation? (laughs) On vacation. And I texted the guy. I'm like, Dave, you're in the Holy Land, right? Thank you, Dave. Uh, Thank you, Kate, for letting Dave take this. Uh, Fortunately, we have a church helicopter, so it worked. It worked out well. That's an inside joke for anybody from Swansea. All right, so as you can see here uh, in the lower quadrant of the, uh, the picture, you'll see where Jesus was. He was in Judea. He was around Jerusalem in that area. And where he needs to be is in Galilee. That's where he's headed. And Jesus is very clear over and over throughout the Gospels that he doesn't do anything until, unless the Father tells him to do it. So wherever he's going, he's on assignment. Amen? Anybody with him this morning? Okay. Wherever we're going, we're on assignment. And so you'll see here um, a couple different paths that are marked. One is in green on the left side. One is in red on the right side. And then the white right up the middle is the path that he took. So... The couple things I want to point out are the two more traveled paths are the less direct ones, all right? The way on the, uh, on the left side was called uh, Via Maris, and it was actually, it goes through the Philistine territory. So during the time in history when Philistines were here, it was actually called the Way of the Philistines, all right, believe it or not. And the right side that passes east over the Jordan River, north along its eastern bank, and then back west across, that was called the King's Highway. And it was because, uh, it was because in trade routes and when all the luxurious commodities that were brought to uh, the monarchies throughout history, um, this was a common trade route. But the less traveled path was the one right up the middle, This path is actually, by historians, called the Way of the Patriarchs. And the reason is because long before Samaria was Samaria, or there was even such a thing as a Samaritan, long before that, there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you follow their stories through this land, through Canaan, this was the path that they took, this straight up and down kind of path. So you can leave that slide up there because I don't have any more. And we'll probably keep coming back to it. So I want to just point out a couple of things. When this journey was made, it was oftentimes for religious purposes. It was was some sort of like uh, a pilgrimage. It was a homage. It was a festival. It was a feast. It was a something. And so actually, would you put that slide back up? Because I probably am going to point to it. So because of the sort of religious... um, purpose for the trip, it was, it was common for Jews to take a longer path. Um, in fact, that straight path was maybe a three-day journey, and uh, to take the King's Highway across the Jordan and then up its bank was maybe a five to seven day, and via Maris, the, the way of the Philistines was even longer, as you can see, but it did go through more cities and was probably safer. So end of the day, people would choose one of these other two paths because Samaritans were considered dirty. They were considered unclean. They were like a mongrel type uh, race, a hybridization, um, impure, and 
uh, Jews, good Jews, good religious Jews, especially on a religious pilgrimage, would not want to pass anywhere near that area. Okay? It would be like, it would be like driving through the seedy side of town on your way to church on Sunday morning. And you're like, man, it just doesn't get me in the right headspace. You know, I just, I don't want to be driving past those signs and thinking those things and, uh, you know, seeing that. I want to like, I want to take the scenic route. And so you would go out of your way to avoid whatever you didn't want to see or you thought was impure. So I see this story and I see Jesus needing to travel from Judea to Galilee and saying here, John points out, and he had to pass through Samaria. And I, I didn't know John personally. Um, I have my own personal John. And, and we, we liken ourselves like some other disciples and apostles that will go unnamed right now. Um, more like sons of thunder and, you know, things like that. But I, um, but I, I, I want to I wanna point out here that when John's writing this down, I want to say it might have sounded like this. He left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. I feel like I could see John writing it like that because these disciples didn't want to take this route. They wanted to go the longer way. Anybody paid by the hour, and so when you have to drive from one place to the other... More cities to pass through. You can do more miracles. You know, we can, whatever. He had to pass through Samaria. But the Lord was on a mission, as we're on a mission. And we talk a lot in this church and from this pulpit about what God's calling you to. We talk a lot about destiny and purpose and calling and anointing and mission. We talk a lot about ministry an assignment. But I want to ask you this morning, saints, how are you getting where God's called you to be? How are you getting there? What are you passing through on your way? And is it possible that in an effort to play it safe or avoid uncomfortable confrontations, that we sometimes end up taking a longer road and missing much of what we were meant to see along the way. Because we get so focused on the end and everything between here and there is just a means to, the, to an end. But I want you to know that when it comes to the Father, there's no such thing as just a means to an end. It's everything is an end in and of itself. Every day between here and there, every hour, every conversation, every interaction is significant and bears weight. And we see that in the life of Jesus. He lived every day. He, he, he walked every path like every step along the way mattered because it does to the Father. It's interesting because I think a lot of times we feel like it's God's job to make our lives harder. Anybody out there? Like, like God's made it his personal mission in life just to make your personal mission more difficult than it had to be. But you know what's interesting? 
while yes, the Lord will lead a prophet out to the wilderness to be fed by ravens. And yes, he'll lead somebody to a, a, an impoverished woman's house to be sustained. And yes, he'll, he'll, he'll bring somebody into David had to go and flee and live among the enemy for a while for his own safety. There, there are places where the Lord takes us. I mean, I mean Jesus isn't even dry from the water of his own baptism. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, leads him out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. So, yes, I, I, I am not here to tell you that the Lord isn't going to take you the roundabout way sometimes to get somewhere. But I also want you to know that Isaiah points it out very clearly that he makes straight the path of the righteous man. He, he, he brings the high places down and the low places up makes rivers in the wasteland and a path where there ought not be one, where your journey would have been a lot harder and could be the second you step off that path and try to get where you're going without it. If you're writing things down, write this down. Don't walk in a circle where the Lord drew a straight line. Don't walk in a circle where the Lord drew a straight line. When I think of circles, I think of Israel in the wilderness. I think of 40 years that could have been a few months. Anybody in here? Anybody just hell-bent on learning the hard way? I see that hand. Thank you, Kelly Gallagher. I can see you too, yes. Thank you for the Dolly Parton brownie mix. What a blessing. Thank you. It's beautiful. You guys are the best. We're making brownies backstage for the band right now. So <laughs> anyway, the point is, is that we sometimes, even having been rescued out of Egypt, having been brought through, led through, miraculously through the wilderness, what we end up doing is even if we leave Egypt behind, we bring a little bit of wilderness with us. We still got a little bit of sand in our shoes, and so we come into the promised land and we create miniature wilderness opportunities for ourselves, okay? Where the Lord is like, I just want you over there. And you're like, I'm gonna get there, but I'm gonna go that way. And then that way, and then that way, and then that way, and then that way, I'm gonna come in from the back. I'm gonna flank it. <laughs> he maketh straight the path of the righteous man. Saints, don't walk in a circle where the Lord drew a straight line. Sometimes that straight line seems like a harder path to walk. I, um, in, so when our family was in, uh, in Yellowstone, we had rented an RV. And in my, in my planning, I'm, I'm like, I want like the biggest, fanciest, best thing that I can find for what I can afford. You know, I'm like one of those guys. And so months ago, back in probably like April or earlier, um, I book us this mammoth RV that was like, we probably could have taken the whole serve team with us. Um, and, you know, we're used to traveling with all of our extended family. And so I'm thinking of how much space that takes for the Gagneys and their 19 and counting kids. <laughs> and, you know, the hearts and all of Roger's friends that just show up for dinner every time. 
And, uh, you know, and then you think, you just think about all these people and you're like, okay, we can't do anything small. So we're going to get an RV, you know, that has a pool in it or whatever. And so I get this RV and it's enormous. And I'm like, so excited about it. I'm showing pictures to everybody. Like it's mine. It's not, I've like Airbnb it from the person who actually owns it for a couple days. And, uh, and we're, we're down to like a few days before the trip and we get an email that the RV has been canceled canceled. Why? Because one of the slide outs that apparently was so big, it had its own time zone. It fell off the track somewhere along the way. They couldn't get it in. And so it was a legitimate thing. I think, I don't know. My wife's a conspiracy theorist too. So we're kind of like, who knows? Maybe they just looked up our family on the internet and they were like, we don't want them in our RV. (laughs) Not that that's ever happened before more than a couple times, but so we, uh, we, ended up on a wild goose chase. I completely lost my peace. I just want to make, I just want to be honest with you. Is it all right if I'm just transparent for a second? Completely lost my peace, nearly lost my salvation, uh, trying to get another RV, uh, locking one in, and then finding out that they wanted us to put it in like long-term storage and pay for it after that. And I'm like, no, I'm trying to cancel it. They won't let me cancel it. We're going to lose thousands. It's like this just disastrophe. Okay. So I, uh, anyway, a lot of prayer. I get my mom on the phone. I'm like, intercede, intercede for us. I'm going to have a miserable vacation if I go on this. And anyway, so finally, after I messed up like 19 bookings, my wife books us an RV and we get there and that's right. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, babe. Thank you. So she books us this RV, but this RV is a little different than the one that I had originally planned for us. I'll just say this. I thought for a second that it was going to come with Uncle Eddie, all right? It was that RV, okay? I got it. It was that RV, and, uh, and it's everything in the RV is loose, okay? So it's rickety. So you're driving it, and it's just kind of like... Like the whole thing's going like this. And there's a faint hint of the devil's lettuce inside. Come to find out that we are vacationing on the heels of the Burning Man Festival out in the the West somewhere, which ended up costing us. We had to pay extra for that. And I'm like, no. They, They actually asked at one of the places I called. They're like, are you taking this to the Burning Man and I almost gave her the church website, and uh, I said, I'm a man on fire. And I've got it shut up in my bones. But no, I am not taking my 13 down through eight-year-old and my innocent wife to Burning Man. No, I'm not. But I will take your RV, thank you, and pay extra because of the Burning Man Festival. So anyway, so we get in this RV and it's like, you know, you just start it up and this reggae music is playing already. Not really, but it, it was like that. Just like this like rickety kind of feeling. Well, that's fine driving straight, but now take that same RV and put it on these harrowing cliff edges 
of Yellowstone, where it's like thousand foot drops down into black holes of oblivion. And now I'm driving, and I'm not a slow driver. So if you ever have ridden with me, or you know, if you delivered sweet bread with me, or anything like that, I don't know if Shane's in here this morning, and that's why you drove. Um, and uh, and then I did it with uh, Pastor Kurt and Jen, and that's why I drove. Um, just kidding, Jen. <laughs> just kidding, Jen. And uh, if you know, I mean, if you know me, you know I I. I struggle with driving um, legally. And so I'm driving this thing, and it like, it's, it's just everything about it is like I'm gripping the steering wheel. It feels like it's, even if I don't drive off the road, like it's just going to fall off the road. And, or the cab's going to fall off, or the wheels are going to fall off, or my kids are going to fall out of things that are opening while we're bouncing down the highway, dodging bison and elk and things like that. And so the point is this. The point is this. Ashley makes us dinner reservations at the Old Faithful Lodge, and we're like on the other side of the park, which Yellowstone is the size of, I think, Rhode Island and Delaware put together. Literally, I think it is. It's like 314,000 miles, square miles or something like that. It's nuts. And we had gone out to this place to see this thing, and it had been literally like I had to drive like 30 miles an hour. You have to downshift. And this machine did not want to downshift. It didn't want to upshift either. It didn't want to shift, period. And, uh, and, and, and I, I, I was like, I just don't, I don't want to take the road back that we took here because I'm afraid for my life and my family and the safety of my family and my future. And, uh, and we're looking at that. We pull up to the intersection. You're going to go right. If you're going to take the safe way back, it's longer. You're going to go left. And she says, they only hold our table for 15 minutes. We have dinner reservations at 530. Because on vacation, we suddenly turn into senior citizens. And we have to eat dinner at lunchtime. And so, and so we, we're... No, that's not to be offensive to any seniors in the house that eat early dinner. I'm grateful for you because then the restaurant clears out by the time people, you know. Anyway, so, so, we're, so we're, we, we pull up to the intersection and we're looking at each other and I'm like, I don't want to go this way, but I, I do it. I take it back. Why? Because we had somewhere to be. We had somewhere to be. We had, we had a reservation and, and that we needed to get to and... There was a fear in me that just didn't want to drive slow. I didn't want to go back around all the same edges and corners and cliffs and, and, and narrow passages. I didn't want to do it. And I think sometimes when there's a call of God on our lives, if you've walked a treacherous path already, if you've been wounded or you've had some close calls or you've gone off the road or you've had a blowout or a side swipe or, or, or hit a deer somewhere in your journey with the Lord, a lot of times we start planning our lives around the safer path. If you got mugged or jumped, if you got robbed or hurt, if you, if you drove through uh, the, the bad side of town one too many times and you said, you know what, I'm gonna go the long way around New Jersey. Anyway, again, it's personal. I'm just, I'm sorry. But the truth is that sometimes that straight path is the treacherous path. Sometimes that straight way, the way through the wilderness, 
instead of just doing another lap around it. Sometimes the way through the wilderness, it's scary. And for good religious Jews of this time, for any rabbi, any God-fearing rabbi, the confrontations that would have taken place between Judea and Galilee to go on that straighter path, it wouldn't have been worth it. The discomfort, the icky feeling, the white-knuckled grip on the steering wheel that what if I don't make it where I'm going? What if somebody sees something? What if somebody says something? Saints, don't walk in a circle where the Lord drew a straight line. Don't bring the wilderness with you. Whatever needed to die out there, let it stay dead. Because we're on a mission and we have a reservation and we need to get there on time. So he came to Sakar, a city in Samaria called Sakar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. I want to stop and talk about this for a second. Like I said, this probably could have been a multi-part series because there's so much. Each one of these things, there's so much. And my prayer is that you go back and kind of read through it. If you have a reference Bible or do some Google searching or download Blue Letter Bible app or something and get into this because it's so good. Even the, the, the meaning of these names, and I want to do Hebrew and I want to go in and Greek and everything else because we're going back to the story of Joseph for a minute. But um, I'm not going to for the sake of time. What I want to tell you is this. When Jacob gave Joseph this land, they were still in Egypt, okay? Jacob was, I think, 147. Yeah, Joseph was 56, and Ephraim and Manasseh were in their mid-20s at this period. Uh, I read one writer who said, dispossess yourself of all of those pictures that you've seen of this story when the land's being given up and, like, you know, Joseph's, like, you know, this young guy in his like early 30s and he's got little kids on his knees. That's not how this happened, okay? If you get in and you have an accurate timeline, you realize that this would have been at Joseph's sort of like height of power as Pharaoh's second hand. It's kind of awkward as a father to be dealing out inheritances to your boys for a land that was thousands of miles away from where you were right now. And one of those sons is the second in all of Egypt. And everything that your other sons had at that point was because that son had already distributed it to them. Because Pharaoh said, hey, Joseph, take the best lands in all of Egypt and give them to your brothers and your father. And so hear this scene, and it's important. Otherwise, John wouldn't have recorded it. Are you with me? You think there's anything in here that just is insignificant? You think there's anything in here that's not on purpose? There are a million details that could have been written about this space, but for right now, for us, for this morning, John wrote it this way. So he stops in Sakar, a city in Samaria, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. This particular dealing out of inheritance was even weirder because at this point, Jacob, if you go back to Genesis, I'm not going to go there and we're not going to read it all, 
But if you go back to when Jacob was dealing it out, he had already sort of uh, dealt Reuben out of the inheritance, but the will of the father was to still have 12 tribes. And so what he does, what Jacob does is he skips over Joseph and goes to his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. That's how we get the 12 tribes that we have today. But what's interesting is, and by today, I mean like not really, but they kind of, if you follow that history, it's very interesting too. But he skips over them and he divides up what would have been Joseph's portion. Joseph had no need of any portion for himself because again, he's like vice president to Pharaoh. But as he gives these things out, we find flashing forward thousands of years in the gospel of John that there still was a parcel set aside for Joseph. A plot of land, as it were, that Joseph had not seen since he was a boy. A plot of land, as it were, that would be where his father dug a well. But that wasn't the only hole in this area. You see 15 miles outside town in a little suburb called Dothan, there was another hole. It was a hole that didn't have any water in it. It was a hole where a 17-year-old boy was thrown in by his brothers and then pulled out and sold into slavery. The parcel of land that Joseph received from his father, it wasn't because Joseph needed land and it wasn't because his lineage needed land. It's because Jacob wanted to make the statement that God fulfills his promises. Did you know that in that 40 years around the wilderness that Israel carried with them an Egyptian sarcophagus with a mummy in it? Not one of those empty ones that you get like at the souvenir shop. No. It had the embalmed, mummified remains of Joseph who was first prepared at his death in Egyptian, in, in the Egyptian way, the classical standard way that you would do all royalty. And they brought those bones with them all the way around the wilderness, back across the river, into the promised land, and laid him to rest in this place, Shechem. This parcel, this land. You see, I believe that as Jesus was taking this road less traveled, this more direct yet more uncomfortable path to many, I think that it's because Jesus himself was on a journey that felt a lot like being sold out. You see, Scripture is very clear. Jesus is very clear that among his own people, among, among Nazareth and the place where he, places where he grew up, said that there was no honor, there was no faith. Said a prophet's not welcome in his hometown. 
Those places, those places, all they remember me as is, is, is the carpenter's kid. It doesn't matter how many dead bodies I raise back to life or blind eyes I open or lame legs I heal. I'm just the carpenter's kid there. And I think that he shared a, a similar sentiment with Joseph in this because Joseph was receiving revelation. Joseph was receiving dreams about what his destiny was for, what he was really called to. He had the dream of the wheat bowing down. He had the dream uh, of the stars and the moon bowing down. And, and maybe in his youthful ignorance and, and arrogance, went a little overboard in, in sharing those things. But he was sold out. He was despised. Betrayed. And I think Jesus felt that way because he was sent to the Jew first and sold out and betrayed, despised. And so, right here in this little town, right here at this well. I believe he was making a statement for the Father that all his promises are yes, that every word is true, and that you may be sitting in this room this morning feeling skipped over, feeling looked over, feeling betrayed. You may be sitting in this room feeling like... uh, Coming back to your hometown, it's going to stir up memories of a deep, dry pit. That maybe you're sitting in that pit right now. But when Jesus comes back, he doesn't go visit the pit. He visits the well. When Jesus comes through Samaria, he stops. And I believe that on his journey, it says he was wearied from the journey, and I don't think it was just the natural physical exertion of walking through a dry, arid place. I think what he was weary from was the frustration and the embarrassment and the discouragement of how he was treated by the ones he came to save. And so it's in this place where I think Jesus got a kick out of drinking from that well that deep well. He himself being one that would be even deeper. See, we think this whole story is about the woman. But I believe Jesus wanted to stop and be refreshed by how his father fulfills promises and smacks bondage and betrayal in the face at the same time. Would you stand with me? We know the story. He meets with the woman, talks with her. Her life gets changed. She goes back, tells everybody, and Jesus ends up staying in that town, in Samaria, where he never should have been if, if religious just persuasion had played its part. He stays two days there. 
and then goes on to where he was called to be. He goes into Galilee, and I want to read you this verse. After two days, in verse 43, he went forth from there. From where? From Sakar in Samaria. He went forth from there into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified, here it is, that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, listen, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did. All the things he did in Jerusalem, at the feast, for they too had been there. The point is this. The eyes of the world are on you. They're watching. And the enemy wants you to believe that because of the house you were raised in or because of, because of the, the religion you were raised in or because of the identity or the last name or the social status or the uh, addictions or the whatever else, that, that you're going to be identified by that and that's going to mark you. And that's going to define the parameters of where you should go. And so maybe you're in this room this morning and you've been the religious one that finds yourself always taking the long way around everything. Maybe you're somebody in here this morning and you've seen literally years, maybe decades of your life go by because you have to do it the hard way. You have to do it the long way. And you've convinced yourself that all that matters is that you end up where you're going. But I'm here to tell you this morning that that's not what matters to the Father. Your future is sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's today that's in question. You're forever can't be changed by the powers of this world, by hell itself. But what can be changed is we can shake the sand out of our shoes and the wilderness out of our hearts. And we can take that path that's been made straight for us, a path that's well lit by the light of his word, a path that not just gets us where we're going, but it gets us everywhere we're supposed to be along the way. If you're in here this morning and you were that one that was looked over, maybe you were that Joseph, that no matter how successful you've become in your life, no matter, no matter uh, how you've gone from a, 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 a bloodied, coat of many colors that your father made all the way to royal robes at Pharaoh's side. Maybe you've been incredibly successful with the incredibly tragic hand that you've been dealt. But you know what's crazy? All the gold in Egypt couldn't make up for the betrayal that took place in his youth. All the wealth and all the wives all the, the pyramids and the, and the grandeur and the splendor and the godlike status of the royalty of this world, it doesn't really heal us. What heals us is when the Lord fulfills his promises. What heals us is the fact that our inheritance brings us back around full circle to a place that maybe once was marked by a dry pit, but now 
It's a well. It's a well. If you're in here this morning and you're on that journey and you need to be refreshed, I'm going to invite you to come down. Step out of your seat and come down to this altar. If you've grown weary in it, if you if you've been walking it, you've been obedient and you've been trying to get it right and you say, I took the more uncomfortable path. Or maybe I started up the, the, the east side. I started up the King's Highway or Via Maris and you know what? I got convicted and I cut back over. And I'm, and, I, and I'm trying to do this thing the way the Lord wants it, but I'm weary. I'm weary from the rejection. I'm tired of the embarrassment and the discouragement and the betrayal and the bondage. I'm not here to tell you again what I just said a little bit ago that it's out of all those things that the fulfillment of the prophetic comes to life birthed out of those seasons out of these seasons that many of us in this room you're in right now but birthed out of this season comes the visitation of that place the proximity and that intimate moment with the Lord where a well has been dug years and years, decades, centuries, millennia ago so that you could sit down and have a drink today, so that you could be refreshed today, so that you who's grown weary and well-doing, you who's grown tired, you who knows that there's a great destiny ahead of you, but you're having a hard time getting there because of all the doubt and disbelief. I love Jesus' words to his disciples. When you've been in a place like that, he says, kick the dust off your heels when you leave. Kick the dust off your heels. Or maybe I could say it like this. Shake the wilderness out of your shoes. Because not even the sand of that wasteland is worth the call that's on your life. We're going to close in prayer. We're going to sing a song here together. But I'm just going to invite Pastor John and the prayer team. I would love to just get around you folks here at this altar this morning just that you would be refreshed and revived. And so let's pray over our brothers and sisters here. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that this walk, that this journey that you've called us to, Lord, that every step along the way is meant to be uh, an invitation to see how your promises are yes and amen. Every town, every stop, even the ones where we're tired and we're dirty and we're, and we're, we're disgusted and, and uncomfortable. God, even in these places, Lord, you desire to reveal how you've been right all along and you've been preparing places all along and whatever bondage that we found ourselves in, we were never meant to stay there, but that you would use those very places to birth in us the fulfillment of destiny and purpose. And so God, we trust you. We trust you, Lord. God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant, of faithful promises.
time and time again you have proven you do just what you say though the storms may come and the winds may blow out If you feel like you've been doing it the long way and you're ready for the Lord to pick you up and put you right where you ought to be, this isn't about making up for lost time. This isn't about thinking that, well, because you lived 10 years this way that you've got to now make up for it with 10 or 20 or 30 years this way. That's not kingdom math. The word says that a, a day is like a thousand years. What that means is that you could have screwed up for a thousand years over here and in a minute, the Lord can get you right where you need to be. He makes up for what the locusts have eaten. The plowmen overtake the harvester. And saints, I wanna encourage you in this place. If you're taking the long way around, come back to that place of surrender. Come back to that place of submission and obedience and let the Lord drop you right where you ought to be. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that every path that you've prepared for us, God, that it's, a, it's not just about getting us where we're going, it's about every step along the way. Forgive us, Lord, when, when whether out of fear or discomfort or inconvenience or religion, we have chosen some other path to try to arrive at the place where you've called us. Lord, we forsake everything else for you today that you would have your way God I pray that you would find and hear a bride that would meet you at the well the well of fulfilled promise in Jesus name in Jesus name amen this is Pastor Zach and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes love you guys God bless you and have the best day of your life